Welcome to Because the Beatles, the podcast about the Beatles, everything about the Beatles 24-8. I'm Allison. And I'm Erica. And before we start, be sure to follow us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts or stream us on Spotify. And if you're enjoying BC the Beatles, feel free to leave us a preferably five-star review so other Beatle maniacs can find us. Also, don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We'll be posting videos, photos, and more from this episode and beyond. You can also email us at bcthebeatles at gmail.com. And today's a very, very special day. We're very excited. Very special. Happy 80th birthday, Paul. Oh, my God. Fuck, Paul. You're 80 years old, dude. (laughs) How did that happen? I don't know. (laughs) I remember articles talking about how he was, like, old at 50 and old at 60. (laughs) Oh my God. I was just thinking the other day, like I, the first time I saw Paul was in 2002 and he was only 59 on that tour. And I'm like, damn, now I feel old, you know? I know. But on the other hand, Paul makes us feel young because he never stops. And Erica, you wrote a brilliant article. I don't remember how Paul turned, but you wrote an article for Rebeat about how Paul sort of has redefined what it means to age. And I I think everything in that piece still rings incredibly true today. It's not even like, oh, that old, you know, that guy is still kicking or whatever. Like, no, he's like still engaging with life. Like nothing has ever dampened his enthusiasm for trying new things or for being physically active or touring. Like he just finished this tour Thursday night. Yeah, so it's outstanding. In honor of Paul and his big milestone 80th birthday, we're doing a special episode where we're just going through 80 of our favorite things about Paul, 80 things we love about him. Yes. And we could have gone on and on. So uh, these are these are some very special things that we hold near and dear in our hearts about the cute beetle himself. Yeah. But, you know, when he turns 100, I still have more in the bank. So. We're oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely. There's always more to love about Paul. And uh, I mean, we're going to start off here pretty strong. Should we get into it? Let's start. Let's do it. Okay. Well, number one, we have our favorite thing. The picture that Erica sends me all the time via text. The picture that always makes me feel like everything will be okay because fuck everything. That is the infamous photo of Paul on the beach in St. Barth's from like, what, two years ago, three years ago now? holding up a double middle finger. Love it. And we will repost it in honor of his birthday. Don't worry. Yes, it is my favorite picture of all time of anybody in the world. Paul with his two middle fingers up, giant smile on his face on the beach. Fuck you, paparazzi. It's wonderful. Does not give a shit. And we love it. We (laughs) We love it. Number two, another thing we love that shows up quite a lot in our texts and notes to each other, that ass. That is. Yes, and, it, and not only in our text and notes, but yes, in some, in our episode docs, like the one we are working <laughs> off of right now, sometimes <laughs> there'll just be a picture of dad ass from Get Back <laughs> in our episodes. Not mad about it. No. Not mad about <laughs> it at all. Mm-mm. Number three, we've got our first appearance of uh, this person in our list, Paul and Linda, because their love is forever. We could talk about that. For hours and hours and hours, but all we're going to say is so much about this relationship is inspirational and beautiful, and it's just something that I love about Paul. Just such shows such a human side to him. Yes, a human and loving side. Number four, another thing we love about Paul, his eternal optimism. This guy 
is always looking on the bright side, no matter how much tragedy comes into his life. I am not even close to that kind of person. And I admire that. Absolutely. Number five, his experimental side. So John gets a lot of credit for being the avant-garde Beatle, but it was really Paul who pushed their music forward into the 80s. McCartney too, love it, hate it, very experimental. The Firemen, we'll get there in a sec. But Paul has always wanted to be on the forefront of music and sound and pushing his music beyond the limit. Number six, his 90s sweaters, his style in the 90s and the 80s. And I'm going to add to that the vests that he wore. Oh, my God. And that Linda wore. They were very matchy-matchy in this way. Basically before the Heather Mills era, that was the truest Paul, I believe, fashion-wise. It was. If Heather did anything for him over the long term, he really did get styling like around... Well, we'll get to it, but like 2007-ish, Paul. Oh, my God. Yeah, we'll definitely get to that. Yeah. <laughs> 2007, <laughs> Paul, has a special place in our hearts. <laughs> and speaking of 2007, insofar as we're on number seven, see what I did there? Uh, mm. His love for his family, because he is a family man, and that was what he wanted after he broke up with Jane Asher. Was He said he wanted a woman to make him a home, and he found that with Linda and her daughter, Heather. And then, of course their children together and on to his uh his youngest beatrice slash ben and yeah. uh, he loves them all you know he's very close with his brother mike who still lives in liverpool and i think that's amazing always uh love the song let him in because he's just talking about like his family members coming to the door it's just such a cute little a nod to something he thinks about right. a lot and also in the pre-roll of his latest show, Erica, I texted you a photo because I was like, do we know who some of these probably cousins or aunts and uncles are? And I bet they're probably the people that are name checked and let them in. Yeah, most likely. That was very cool to find new faces in those, those yeah. videos. Number eight, something we talk about quite a lot over here, his love for animals. Not only his many, many dogs and cats, starting with, as far as we know, Martha back in the 60s and up to Rose and maybe the mystery dog now. Hashtag Snuffy. Yes, uh, hashtag Snuffy McCartney. You know, the horses and the goats, and he loves those animals. He wrote songs about these animals. Martha, my dear, and Jet are just two examples of that. I sometimes forget that Jet is about his dog, right? It's either a dog or a horse. I can't remember which one, but I'm pretty sure it's yeah. about one of his pets or animals. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Number nine. This is something that <laughs> we differ on a little bit, Erica. This is one that you added to our list, which is his commitment to the modified mullet. <laughs> I don't love it. I love it for him because it's definitely his look, L-E-W-K, but... Mm -hmm. um, I remember the first time I saw him, my mother, who was a hairdresser, saw his hair and was like, I just wanted to take a pair of scissors to it. And it wasn't even that long. It was 2002. <laughs> What's it even 2002 is when he had the shortcut. I know. It's so funny. His first appearance of that, I think, was during Abbey Road, right? Mm-hmm. Other than a couple of time periods, like when he and Michael Jackson were working together and... The time period we just talked about, like when he had first married Heather and the Driving Rain era, he's always kind of had this business in the front party in the back kind of look going on. And yes, well, I agree. Nobody should follow this fashion advice. This is definitely one of those. I love this journey for him. Kind of. 
<laughs> we love it for him. <laughs> Number 10. Paul McCartney is a marketing genius. I would say go back to our first episode that we ever did, which is this is what we talked about on our first episode, that he has done some crazy innovative things, whether it's, you know, driving a bus into Times Square and doing a, a makeshift concert on a bus or guessing games on Twitter or Instagram to promote a new album or the text line he has. Like he's always been somebody that's sort of on whatever the cutting edge of the time is on how to do marketing, him and the people he hires are always doing it. It's very cool. Yes. And we're going to call out a very specific marketing campaign later, which we also talked about on our very first episode. Lo, those many years ago. Aww. Number 11. This will come as no surprise to anybody, but we love that he's a musical genius. Duh. Yeah, <laughs> I we mean, like it. It's cool. Need we say more? We love a lot of things about him, but obviously this is the core of why we know him. So, you know, yes. he's got to be on the exactly. list. Number 12 is his commitment to causes, especially, at least to me, his vegetarianism, lots of other causes he's lent his name to over the years, including No More Landmines, which we talked about recently, Friends of the Earth, which is a major sponsor of his 8990 tour. He's always out there talking about the things that he believes in. You know, PETA, of course, is controversial for many things, but he's a proud spokesman for them. And I think it's cool that he stands up for what he believes in. Yes, and just a brief little mention here, too, of one of Paul's causes, which is Nordoff Robbins in the UK. The Beatles story, if you're in Liverpool or planning to be in Liverpool this year, they're doing a little collab with Nordoff Robbins, which is a nonprofit helping musicians, and they believe in the value of music for people in our society in general. So they utilize music as a tool to help anyone with like disabilities or illness or social exclusion. They support centers around the UK and charities that work in concert with care homes, schools, hospitals. They're partnering with Hofner and they're going to have a great big display outside the Beatles story in Liverpool, honoring Paul for his 80th birthday. I didn't actually realize Paul was associated with this music organization, but that kind of shows. I'm sure he's you know, involved with a lot of smaller organizations that we don't even know about. So there's a new one <laughs> for us. Yeah, I'd love to see pictures of that. Totally. I will post one. I've got one here in this lovely little press release that we received from the fine folks over at the Beatles story um, with a mock-up of it. And if you go to the Beatles story, you can also sign a virtual birthday card for Paul. So do that. I hope that we can do that. We'll try to get over to Liverpool at some point. Number 13, keeping it classy here uh, with hashtag Wankgate. If you remember a few, <laughs> a couple years ago uh, when it came out, the big fucking, you know, hubbub uh, and pretty much all anybody talked to me about for a while was the fact that Paul came out and said that he and John and I don't know, their pals, whatever, Ivan Vaughn or who the fuck else in Liverpool would sit around and like circle jerk. Um <laughs> <laughs> and and, and the, the amazing New York Post headlines that came out of it, uh, which I still have a copy. I think I still have my copy that you gave me, Erica, of the New York Post. Beat the Meatles. Beat the Meatles, yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but we love it because Paul fucking just was like, yeah, I'm just going to drop this and you guys can do whatever you want with it. No big deal. I mean, I think it was actually put in a book like years ago. I think a lot of more hardcore fans were like, I knew that. But the fun yeah. of it was getting to see it in the mainstream press. It was so awesome. Definitely. I remember going to some of my Paul books and being like, yep, I'll send you the, the passage about it. People <laughs> were like, oh, my God. Oh, I bet if you looked at a uh, 
a line graph of the amount of McLennan fanfic that happened, that there'd be a huge <clears throat> spike right around there. Straight up. Number 14, how he showed up at the anti-gun march in New York City a couple of years ago. This was right after, I believe, the Parkland shootings in Florida. And um, he was wearing a shirt that I think said, together we can end gun violence. And I remember he was interviewed and he said something very casual, like, yeah, my best friend was killed by gun violence. So I'm here. It still gives me chills when I think about that. And just how he just showed up. He didn't even make a big deal about it. He just wanted to be part of the march. Oh, so good. Yeah, which kind of ties back to his commitment to causes. He's involved in a lot of things. Number 15, and this one is very near and dear to my heart, perhaps a little hyper-specific for those of us who remember uh, this thing on paulmccartney.com years ago where you could sort of click around to get little videos of Paul doing different things. And one of them was Paul McCartney tells you a joke. And, uh, well, I guess we'll just let Paul tell this amazing joke that is one of my favorite things about Paul. Okay. There's this guy who gets lost in Ireland. And uh, it's the middle of the night, so he's looking for some sign of life. And he sees up on the hill, he sees a little house with lights on. So he follows this long fence up to the top of the hill, and he realizes it's a pub goes in the pub, it's completely empty except for the barman. Uh, So he goes up to the bar and he says, "Um, pint of Guinness, please. The barman says, certainly, sir. Pint of Guinness. And as he's pulling it, he says, did you notice that fence as you come up? He says, yeah, I did. Nice. I followed it up, actually. Nice straight fence. He said, I made that fence myself. He said, did they call me Jones the fence maker? No. Guys. So he gets his drink, and he's starting to drink his Guinness, and then the, the, the guy says, uh, do you like this bar? That's solid mahogany, that. I said, I made that myself. He said, that's a very nice bar, actually. I said, you made that yourself? Fantastic. He said, and do they call me Jones, the bar maker? No. Oh, so, okay. He said, and what do you think of that? What do you think of that Guinness? Do you think I've pulled it well? He said, that's a very well-pulled pint. Yes, I love that. He said, do they call me Jones, the Guinness puller? No. He says, but you fuck one goat. (laughs) No. (laughs) (laughs) I fuck one goat. (laughs) He's so funny. So good. I love it. I wish more people saw how funny he is because, you know, a lot of people hear him tell like the yesterday story because that's what he does in the mainstream interviews and stuff. But this this is the gold. This is what you get when you sit around with Paul at a pub, I'm pretty sure, which sounds like a delightful time. Ab-so-fucking-lutely. Number 16, Ubu Jubu. Oh my god, Ubu Jubu was a radio show that was done in the, what, 80s? It's very 80s. And he had a song for it called Ubu Jubu. I love that fucking (laughs) song. I don't care. (laughs) so good it's just like fun literally the only words are ubu jubu but it's very fun hashtag no apologies yes exactly and ubu jubu was at one point my tumblr name love it paul mccartney wanted to like produce his own little radio series how fun is that yeah i remember back like the early days of the internet when ubu jubu would get passed around via like real-time files like it was like you couldn't even listen to it you were just excited when you got another file of his Ubu Jubu program. 
Number 17. Paul is a little bit of a hoarder. <laughs> he never fucking gets rid of anything. And I think that's great because I'm tired of seeing like these amazing things that rock stars sell off. And it's like, that didn't mean anything to you. Like this awesome, like stage costume or one of your prize guitars you've had since you were 16 years old. It's like, you, how often do you see Paul stuff come up at auction? Like hardly ever because he has oh, it no. all. <laughs> he mm-hmm. has it all. Do you imagine walking around his, like his, one of his houses or his studio and just like casually seeing stuff around? Not only does he keep everything, but he kind of just treats it like his things. Like, do you remember that period when he was like throwing his guitars on stage? Oh, yeah, of course. It was terrifying. Yeah, but he doesn't <laughs> care. Every picture you see of like Cavendish, which Cavendish will come up in, in a little bit here. But like you see, like just crap still scattered around. Like I've seen pictures of that living room and Cavendish and you can look at pictures from a couple of years ago. and You can look at a picture from the 60s and it's, he's still got the same shit in there which I think is so awesome. Like, I think there's like a little piano in the main room and I'm not that creepy. I'm not like hundred percent sure what's still the same, but it's very cool that like he still kind of has his same clutter. Can we still come in through the bathroom window to check it out? Well, let's try. Let's go. Let's go give it a shot. Why not? Love it. Let's do it. (laughs) (laughs) Number 18, his left-handedness. And not only his left-handedness, but the way he just kind of modified guitars and did what he needed to do to make it work for him. Number 19, Club Sandwich, which is uh, another lovely Paul Relic from, what, the 90s, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. His, uh, his lovely little newsletter that I was never yeah. lucky enough to get. Uh, it was a little before my Paul time. But if you picked up the awesome Flaming Pie reissue that came out last year, the year before... There was a great repro of the club sandwich from around that time inside it. So you can actually see what it looks like if you weren't there for the real thing. A few of them, they show up on eBay every once in a while, but he was pretty prolific about that. I think he stopped it after Linda died. Number 20, um, speaking of sandwiches, the way he makes a bagel, which we've talked about in this podcast before. This is extremely controversial. Yeah, we have differing (laughs) opinions about this. I think this is fabulous. I love it. I don't think you're quite so on board with the uh, the splitting the bagel in three thing. I'm not. I can't abide that, you know? So this is not one of the things I love about Paul, but I will give this to you, Erica, since you are the resident apologist here. Um, <laughs> I do not advocate for the way he makes a bagel. <laughs> that is a hard stop for me. <laughs> I think we need to give it a test. I think we need to try it. Oh, yes. I mean, we have talked about actually trying to do it ourselves, which we may do. I'll try it. I love a bagel, you know, but I just, I don't know. It, uh, he bastardizes the poor little things. My trepidation is much less about the way he cuts it, but the liberal use of Marmite. Yeah, that's, I'm not excited about that either. Number 21. This is a, uh, one that we all got to witness late last year. The way he composed Get Back right before our very eyes in the amazing documentary Get Back um holy shit that was one of the most transcendent moments i've ever seen i can't believe how casually it happened (laughs) in that freaking documentary i know and that was one song that happened to be done during this this documentary he's written hundreds and hundreds of songs probably very much like that that was the best thing to me about get back altogether was that we got to see his genius in action Little did he know he was going to be playing that fucking song for the rest of his life. I know. <laughs> Crazy. 
Number 22. He's been with the same band members now for 20 plus years. And in the case of Wick, since the end of the 80s, which I just think is so nice that he's formed this this group with them, this family, like we as fans, we all know them and love them too. And how nice is that? He takes care of his people and they stay with him. Yeah. And they've, you know, obviously played on his albums and been on tour with them. And it's just, you know, they've created this real like, this gel together that, you know, yeah, of course, when you go to the shows, you're like, sweet, I can't, I can't wait to see the rest of the band. It's gonna be a great show. Um, we love them. 23, he has dabbled in ballet and classical music scores. Uh, we just talked about working classical a couple episodes ago, briefly in our Paul and Russia episode, which I love that album. I'm not big on classical music, but I really, really enjoy some of Paul's classical scoring. Another thing I think is cool about that is he really still doesn't read music in a way that a classical composer reads and writes music. So he he does work with transcribers for that. But thinking about how much it goes into orchestral scores and, you know, writing classical music that his brain can work in a way that it can come up with these things and not even be able to like to put them on paper. It boggles my mind that he can do that. Number 24, speaking of the scope of his genius, his unapologetic love of granny music, even when he was in his 20s. And, you know, we're talking uh, Honey Pie and Maxwell Silver Hammer. He had his influences from his childhood, and he wrote these songs with those things in mind. And, okay, maybe John hated these things with a white-hot passion, <laughs> but Bucket, he did it anyway. He continued using this this style all the way through his career. Uh, one of the highlights for me is Baby's Request from Back to the Egg. And up to one of your favorite albums, Allison, Kisses on the Bottom. Oh, yeah. My ultimate favorite fucking Paula album. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that album is nothing but granny shit, as John would say. But I mean, you know, Paul definitely took that and turned it into something really special. And I like that he didn't compromise that. Even when John, who, you know, admittedly, Paul would say he always tried to impress. John could have killed that for him. But Paul was like, nah, I'm going to keep at this. I'm going to keep my granny music (laughs) going. Yeah, we're going to do like 87 takes of this. So, you know, hope you're up for it. Absolutely. 25. So his ability to turn nonsense lyrics into a masterpiece. So if we think about like Monkberry Moon Delight, Uncle Albert, lots of nonsense there. All through the discography. Even like sound effects, I'm thinking like Mrs. Vanderbilt, like how we should have mentioned this in our Russian episode, how much Russians love that fucking song (laughs) because of the little sound effects. Ram pretty much started as a German of an idea from nonsense. The ability to combine nonsense words into something that doesn't really mean anything when you read it, but when you hear it and you, when you hear him sing it, it totally gives a feel and it tells a story, even if the words aren't necessarily what you think they should be. But if you think about Uncle Albert or Monkberry Moon Delight, like they've got a very specific feel, even though the lyrics make no sense. Yeah. I mean, my favorite Paul lyric uh, from uh, The World Tonight from Fleming Pie, which is, I go back so far, I'm in front of me. I always said if I ever got a tattoo, I I would probably get that because I love I love that. And yeah, it makes no fucking sense, but it has like an idea. It puts an idea into your head where you're like, yes, I get it. I love that. I wonder that. if he's thinking about that song as he turns 80. Oh my gosh. Well, that would be a good one. That would be a very good like uh, retrospective lyric 
to, yeah. <laughs> to apply to his life right now to, on, this, on this blessed day. All right, number 26. Anybody who went to the Paul tour this time around knows this is an ever-expanding issue. The ever-expanding <laughs> pyrotechnics display in his live shows. If you look back at when he did Live and Let Die, like on Wings Across America or something, you got some pyro, and it's small, and it's cute little flames coming up. And now if you're uh, close to the, the stage, you might get a little singed feeling because it's like serious fucking fire. Yeah, I will forever chase the dragon of feeling that fire on my face, like <laughs> where your eyebrows are almost going to get singed off like so good. Oh, I love that feeling. <laughs> Bigger and better every time. Absolutely. Uh, number 27, his disdain of certain American political figures. I don't know who this could be about. Um, but we love that he hates the same people that the two of us happen to hate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he wrote a song about one of them and the other one he, sure he insulted did. in the presidential library. So, you know. Love it's not it. shy. We love that. Not shy. Oh, so good. 28. His curiosity and his ability to never settle and always try something new. I think this is one of those big themes that kind of weaves through all of the different things that we're talking about today. But, you know, whether we're talking about electronic music or 80s synth or classical or ballet score or musical theater, like he never is content to just sit back and write a bunch of versions of yesterday. And I think that's part of the reason we love him so much. He's just always out there experimenting. Yes, absolutely. Uh, number 29, this is a very important experiment uh, that he, he conducted himself. And this is the creation of the Macarita, which Damn. if you went to the show in Seattle, I think they were selling these for like $25 a pop. But Oh, no uh, way, really? I think so. <laughs> I, I, somebody, I think our friends uh, over at Blotto Beatles posted a photo on Twitter somebody took of the Macarita for sale oh, in Seattle. Well, it's worth $25 because it's got more alcohol than almost any drink that I've ever seen a recipe for. Is it like a Cadillac margarita? I'm trying to remember the exact uh, recipe because I think it has curacao in it or something, right? Maybe it's Cointreau? Oh, Cointreau. Yes. Oh, here it is. Okay. So if you want Mary McCartney's, this is straight from her. This is her father's margarita recipe. It is one and a half limes, one juiced, and half of the glass rim sea salt probably for the rim three shots of any good blanco tequila patron silver for example one shot of cuantro one shot triple sec two clementines juiced and ice cubes of course that sounds good it sounds very good for summer it does and mary being a chef has definitely elevated that recipe because i've seen versions of it when just paul talking about it where it's basically (laughs) like six shots of alcohol and a squeeze of lime Oh, yeah. I, I think I've seen that, too. That's amazing. Oh, my God. But I just saw that this, uh, <laughs> according to Mary, what I just read to you makes two drinks. I don't fucking think so, Mary. <laughs> I'm like, that sounds like a shot to me. No. Yeah, no, let, no. Uh, she meant he orders two at a time. Okay. There, that makes more sense. Yep. Uh, that sounds <laughs> like, yeah, more accurate. But I, I do I do remember um, what you're talking about, Erica, where it's, uh, yeah, Paul's like, you know, Alcohol with a splash of flavor. <laughs> it's just like a mug of shots with some, some salt around it. Mm. Happy birthday, Paul. Yeah, I hope you're celebrating. Number 30, the complete and utter randomness of the lyric, 
Oklahoma was never like this from the song press <laughs> off of the press to play album. <laughs> I can't get enough of that. It's just so <laughs> weird. <laughs> the song has nothing to do with that. And he does not live in Oklahoma by any the stretch. Fucking, the sheer amount of brain power that has been devoted to being like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> Amazing. Number 31, his commitment to secret tracks. I mean, if you've, kind of shut off a Paul album at the end of what you think is the last track. You have a lot of Paul that you're missing. And uh, whether it's my favorite, I think, uh, which is cosmically conscious at the end of off the ground. You know, the other things that he does is that different editions might have different songs. So you're kind of hunting after stuff. Like another thing on chaos was that the song, she is so beautiful was a bonus track on the Japanese issue. I remember that. God, and that was so genius because when that came out in 2005, of course, you had to buy the records. Damn it, Paul. You made us spend so much money. <laughs> I know. Still. Still. Did you see the, the McCartney still. Trio box set that's oh, coming out? Oh, we didn't out? even talk about that. Yes. Uh, oh, my God. Fuck you. I don't, I don't usually want this stuff, but I saw that. I'm like, I really want that. <laughs> I was, yeah. I mean, when McCartney 3 came out, I was sort of like, okay, when's the box coming? Because that would make too much sense. Mm-hmm. But yeah, now we need to get the box. oh paul happy birthday here's more money take my money right number 32 that mashed potatoes video you remember the mashed potatoes video one yes oh my god i these are in random order they might be number one in my head (laughs) yeah uh are you sure dead ass is not number one in your head all right well if that's number one in my heart mashed potatoes (laughs) is number one in my head yeah, I have friends that I still, we still talk about the mashed potatoes photos, like our video. I mean, like literally normie friends. These aren't beetle people. These are normal people that are aware of the mashed potatoes video. And we just talk about it randomly. And it just makes my heart happy. I love that. And there's so much behind it too. Like now looking back, it's like, okay, this is like a random YouTube video. But it was 1999. It was like a pioneering thing on the internet at the time. To make mm-hmm. this video. And not only that, was it was Paul's first public appearance after Linda died. Like yes. it was the first thing he did. And, you know, I remember it, he was wearing all black in it. And, you know, it was, you know, he was cooking and, and you know, he, he was cutting onions and he was saying, well, you know, this is how Linda did it. And, you know, it was like also very sad, even though it was like iconic at the same time. It's very, it's a very yes. confusing set of emotions that come from that thing. Also, I would never get an onion anywhere near my mashed potatoes. So I disagree with him on, on, on the culinary aspect of it, but I love the video. I love onions. So I'm like, get them in. That's great. Favorite thing about that video, I think it's how he says hot. <laughs> the potatoes are hot. I just, that's the thing I remember the most. And I think that's the thing my normie friends quote <laughs> a lot. It's so cute. Oh, I just, I love that video. And, and yeah. Everything you said, absolutely. I remember all those mixed mixed emotions when it came out, mm. for sure. Um, number 33, his patronage of and mentorship to the students at Lippa. I always wanted to go to Lippa, never did go to Lippa, but I've heard so many great stories of him just sort of like randomly appearing. I've heard stories of him like around graduation time. He'll just like go to the bar by himself down the street around the corner from Lippa and people just like see him there and it's totally chill. I think it's wonderful how... How he champions, you know, the next generation of students in performing arts. And Lippa, if you don't know, is the Liverpool Institute for Performing Arts, which used to be 
the, I guess, mid-level school that he went to as a kid that they called the Institute or the Innie. And when it shut yeah. down, they they remade it into a college. So now it's now it's a college and Paul is one of the like founding patrons of it. So, you know, he's really kept it going and reconstituted what that school was, what his old school was. So I don't know if he still does, but he used to hand out the diplomas at graduation. Yeah, I think maybe that might have been, you know, with COVID, he hasn't done that, but I wouldn't be surprised if he does it again soon. Yeah. Number 34, his adorable bromance with Ringo. As John and George, you know, left us and Paul and Ringo are the the two surviving Beatles. It's just always delightful when you see the two of them together. They're just buddies. They're just cute. They perform together. You can tell that they, you know, they just have this long friendship and nothing but love for each other, which is why I think we were talking about earlier, Paul, show it. Uh, at the Meadowlands in New Jersey on Thursday that Bruce Springsteen showed up and John Bon Jovi showed up, which are like New Jersey Titans. We were like, oh, but where's Ringo? You know? Yeah. I really banked on Ringo being there. But, you know, with Ringo's tour sort of being called off, he would have been in the area for Paul's last show. But I imagine since he's not on the road anymore, he's probably hightailed it back home. But yeah, no, they're so cute together. We love that. Number 35. Cynthia Lennon called Paul the town bull. And uh, <laughs> that is that is truly epic. That is a legendary title, the town bull of there, Liverpool. There's just so much to that. Just so many there's things so to think much. about. Yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, I've always wanted to do an episode on the Beatle Bastards. <laughs> that ties um, right in on that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I know that you're not keen, but I I would love that. That would, yeah, that would fit the town bowl moniker. I mean, look at him with that face and those eyes and that voice. He deserves to be the town bowl. Number 36, Meat Free Monday. Kind of combines two of the things we talked about before, his commitment to campaigns, including vegetarianism, and his support of his family, because this is a thing he does with Stella and Mary. The three of them have been the face for this environmental cause to, you know, you don't have to go totally veggie, but it would help the environment a lot if you just didn't eat meat one day a week. Paul had a little song about it that he put online once. Mary, I think, has a meat-free Monday cookbook. They're always the spokespeople for the campaign, and they didn't even start it. It was just something they kind of believed in and latched onto, and now they're the faces of something that, you know, I think it's kind of an important movement if you if you think about like how much meat production can harm the environment and one day a week doesn't hurt people, doesn't make them have to be vegan, but it can help in a lot of ways. So I love it. Yeah. As a meat eater myself, I find this totally manageable. Do I do it all the time? No, but like I I have done it and I feel good about myself. (laughs) I do it. I feel proud. And, you know, I think it's been impressive too, that he's gotten people involved like Yoko. You know, Yoko has sort of gotten on the Meat Free Monday bandwagon in the past and uh, which is really cute to see them sort of collab a bit. Um, and then he still has the Meat Free Monday people at his shows. You know, they yeah, usually totally. have a booth, you know, getting literature out and making their presence known. So that's very cool that, you know, that's sustained over over the years. As the representative vegetarian on this podcast, shout out to the McCartneys for not being like asshole vegans that give all plant-based eaters a really terrible name. Like they're like, you don't want to do it all the time. That's not a problem. Just do it once a week. No big deal. Like, I love that because, you know, vegetarians and vegans have a bad reputation sometimes. 
Exactly. I and it's very inclusive. It it, hel- it helps us meat eaters feel like we can do something, even if it's a small thing. Number thirty-seven sounds very exciting. Uh, his tie in the ever-present past video. Um, I mean, everything in the ever-present past video, like that was the start of like two thousand seven, sexy Paul. Oh my yeah. god. And that was probably one of his best looking periods in his life. Like, yes, it was after the divorce. So he had gotten his fashion advice from Heather, but he was kind of going his own way. Very much like town bull out in the town sort of vibe. (laughs) He was getting his groove back with that sleek suit and the, oh my God, the memory almost full period. The shoot with the chair. Mm. Yep. (laughs) So good. (laughs) So good. Number 38. When he added the rainbow flag to his concert encore, as most people listening, I'm sure know that after that, right before the encore, he comes out with a number of flags, including the flag of the town where he's in, the U.S. flag, the U.K. flag, and um, he's added the Pride flag. You know, not just during Pride Month, but every concert, which I love. Very inclusive. Yes, and number thirty-nine to piggyback on that, he has recently added the Ukrainian flag uh, on this past tour. So we love that. Uh, and show support for our friends over in the Ukraine. 100%. Number 40, you're halfway there. This is a very recent one. And again, if you've gone to his tour, most recent tour, working with Peter Jackson to re-engineer I've Got a Feeling from the Get Back video. So he is singing with 28-year-old John on stage when he's doing that Mm -hmm. live show now. It's just so, what a great idea. What a great idea. Yes, and we went deep into this in our concert recap a few episodes ago. It still cracks me up, Erica, when you pointed out who fucking hates that, though. (laughs) (laughs) Rusty hates it. (laughs) Number 41, uh, when he sang a wake-up call to astronauts in space with English tea and Good Day Sunshine in 2005, he beamed up to the uh, International Space Station, correct? Yes, how cool is that? It was in the concert tour video the space within us. Oh, yes, that's right. So you can see it there. And if you did go to that tour, he sort of recreated it with Good Day Sunshine, at least every time. And so you got to hear, you know, who the astronauts were and you got to hear them kind of talk back to him when they did it. Um, I think at one concert, it was one concert where he actually did the thing live and it was like makeup time in space <laughs> and they did it. Yeah, in, so in cool. front of the audience. So. Again, him on the cutting edge doing like kind of weird stuff all the time. Speaking of weird stuff, number 42. <laughs> hey, Grandu, the frog song and other very silly children's projects. I know that Paul is much maligned for his frog song for the, the Rupert series. Also, I think for Hey, Grandu, for the Mary Had a Little Lamb song and for all the silly things. But one of the wonderful things about Paul is the silly thing. Yes, he's eternally youthful in these ways, I think. Keeps him young. 43. So he and the band have a history of warming up with a very special song before they go on stage. And that is, of course, the theme from the monkeys, which is the Hey, Hey, We're the Monkeys song. And I'm not sure if it's something they do just to loosen up or to keep it fun and light backstage. But they have been known to bust out the monkeys theme. There's a great video on YouTube of them walking to the stage singing, Hey, Hey, We're the Monkeys. I love that video. I do too. I think it's very special. We'll share it. Number 44. 
touring universities in an old bus when he started Wings. This is one of my mm. favorite Paul McCartney stories. You know, he was the Beatles broke up, all kinds of litigation, so contentious. He, you know, buried himself in his Scottish farm and went through a period of deep depression. And then he popped up and he started again. And he started from literally nothing. An old bus, kind of a ragtag <laughs> group of people playing like surprise gigs for like five pence or something admission fee at universities for a while to start out this new band and see what it was and figure out how to be something that wasn't the Beatles from scratch all over again. I think that most people in this world do not have that level of resilience. And I just, I admire that about him a lot. Totally. And that kind of goes hand in glove with uh, number 45, which was his unwavering support for Linda as she learned musicianship. You know, Paul would often say that Wings was not his band. It was Linda's band. And, you know, she was obviously an an omnipresent part of the lineup uh, on keyboards and backing vocals. And we don't want to hear any Linda shit talk. She held her own. You know, she was a a big presence uh, in that band. And Paul was there. Paul wanted her there. Paul wanted her to contribute. And she has songwriting credit on a lot of his stuff from that period. Wings would not be wings without Linda's sound. If you think about Bluebird or Backseat of My Car or Longhaired Lady or Another Day, even earlier than that, that was integral to the sound and she knew nothing about musicianship. She knew nothing about how to play. Like he taught her basic things and was patient with her. Like he's fucking Paul McCartney. He could get anybody in the world to play. And he wanted his wife to play with him. And he helped her become somebody who held her own on huge tours all the way up to the 90s. Absolutely. Number 46. How thoroughly he impressed John at their first meeting. Back at the uh, Wilton Town Fate, singing 20 Flight 20 Rock. 20 Flight Rock, yes. Yeah. Absolutely. He was 15 years old. He'd probably only been playing guitar for like a year and a half, maybe. He just busted it out to this older kid, which is a big deal when you're 15 and 17. Good on you, Paul. You, in- you impress the unimpressible John Lennon. We love that. And going back to his early days in Liverpool, uh, number 47, his close relationship with his father, Jim McCartney. Jim was obviously a huge, huge influence on Paul. You know, Jim was a band leader. He played several instruments himself. He bought a piano from the Epstein family, who, you know, they're... uh, uh, the son of that family, Brian Epstein, would go on, obviously, to manage the Beatles. We talk about Brian a lot. Paul was very close to Jim his whole life. He bought him a house when the Beatles were famous. And we've talked about a couple episodes ago how when he met Mikhail Gorbachev, what his father would think. You know, he's still thinking about, like, impressing his father. As we all know, you know, that never really goes away. But just mm-hmm. love how uh, how special that was to him. Yeah. And, and not to beat the dead horse, but... Kisses on the Bottom, oh, one of my Jesus. favorite albums, was a tribute to his father and the music that his father taught him. That's all I'm going to say. And of course, you know, Walking in the Park with Eloise, which I think was what the early 70s. That was a Jim McCartney composition that he recorded. Yeah, with he put it on Venus and Mars. Venus and Mars. Yeah, I couldn't remember which album it was. But yeah, so that was a, a moment for Jim. Love it. Number 48. How complex he is as the cute one. Yes, there is. I mean, 
you know, he gets written off a lot as the cute one. He was the cute one, but he was a lot more than that. And I think it's easy to sort of put him in that one box as like this vapid sort of head nodding bass player who sang all these like doe eyed love songs. But he was and is, you know, a lot more than just that. He is. But still, though, badass. <laughs> I mean, we're not above uh, objectifying him. Don't worry. Uh, exactly. No- <laughs> Yes, number 49. The fact that he's owned the same house in London since his 20s. And of course, we're talking about Cavendish in St. John's Wood, just around the corner from Abbey Road Studios. Like we said before, he never gets rid of anything. He still lives in that goddamn house. It's not even like it's just sitting there, you know, as like a little McCartney museum. No, he's he's there a lot. Number 50. His collabs with modern musicians like Kanye, Rihanna, the famous Nirvana Nirvana collaboration. (laughs) I love this because it's just another way to show that he is adventurous and he's always looking for new things and he doesn't constrict himself by what made him a superstar and what made his songs classic. He's always experimenting. Yes. Uh, Speaking of experimenting, number 51, The Firemen. We love The Firemen. Sing the Changes, one of my favorite Paul songs of all time. I mean, those albums particularly... Electric Arguments, such a fucking great record. I think it's interesting that he felt the need at one point to sort of have this uh, alias to create under when it's so quintessentially Paul music anyway. I think that's the wonderful thing about it. But The Fireman is so good. Well, you know, Paul likes an alias like the Sgt. Pepper band. It gives his mind the freedom to, to go in different places, even though maybe the result is still very much this is Paul McCartney. Very true. Number 52. How obsessed he was with his watch in 2002. And <laughs> this is the driving rain stuff. This is that. Oh, yeah, it is. Yeah, this is, this is, and we've talked about this before, that, Allison, you, you had this watch. I got the watch, yeah. I got it for Christmas that year because, I don't know, I, I think I just was a total brat about it. And my mom was like, fine, this is the only thing you're going to get. Because I remember <laughs> it was like $250, which was a lot back then. And, yeah. uh it was cool. Yeah, it, it took little pictures and you could upload them on your computer. And that's what Paul liked about it. And so the cover of Driving Rain was taken with that watch and all the little photos inside of Driving Rain and the CD jewel case were all taken with that watch. And uh, he was obsessed with it. He talked about it in like every interview that year. He was just so, so into it. Like, I think both he and Heather had that watch. Again, he loves his technology. He loves anything new. In 2002, that was a big deal. He's so excited. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Number 53, when he and Pete Best got deported from Hamburg for setting a condom on fire. Uh, One of the most famous stories of Beatles lore, I believe. Yeah. I mean, that sentence stands on its own. Obviously, we love this about him. (laughs) We love it. Number 54, his continued support of Linda's photo exhibitions. You've been to one of these fairly recently, I believe. I did go to one in London that was actually on Savile Row. This was probably 10 years or so ago, but it was amazing. It was the first time I'd ever seen like a collection of Linda's photos. And I remember seeing pics of like Paul at the opening, walking through with Mary and Stella and them sort of choosing the photos and which should go where. And so he was very hands-on with that, which it seems like he is that way with a lot of Linda's photo exhibitions. 
Number 55. When he was obsessed with Buddy Holly in the 80s and dressed up like him, and then he bought Buddy's pu- Publishing, etc. So MPL Publishing still owns Buddy Holly's catalog. But there was a great party that happened, and I want to say the late 80s, early 90s, where Paul literally dressed up like Buddy Holly. Linda wore like a poodle skirt. It was all very 50s nostalgia, a go-go. But there's footage of Paul like on stage with a Telecaster like Buddy Holly played. Um, with the buddy glasses and his hair sort of slicked into like a pompadour kind of thing. And, you know, he really committed to Buddy Holly. And I respect that. The original cosplayer. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) Number 56 is Michael Jackson impression, which is quite good. It's something that he's brought out in a number of interviews, usually with a side of bitterness about the whole I bought your songs debacle. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Everything about that period in the the relationship between Paul and Michael Jackson is uncomfortable, and uh, he makes a great joke out of it. Yes, yes. Definitely look it up on YouTube. I'm tempted to recreate his Michael Jackson impression, but I think it's probably not uh, very in favor anymore. So I'll I'll just let him handle it on YouTube. We'll leave it to Paul. Yeah, exactly. Number 57, the fact that he begrudgingly picked up the bass in the Beatles and ended up becoming one of the most iconic bass players of all time. As you do, as one does. No big deal. Yeah, MBD. Yeah, speaks to his musicianship. He didn't really want it. And yeah, now he's one of the founding fathers of rock bass. So there you go. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Stu Sutcliffe. Shout shout out to (laughs) to Stu. (laughs) Yeah. Number 58, there's a rose named after him, the McCartney Rose, which I have seen this in the Brooklyn Botanic Gardens. Beautiful. I was just going to say that. I've seen the McCartney Roses at the Brooklyn Botanic Gardens as well. Yeah, they're beautiful. Number 59, his paintings. Kind of controversial statement here. I know a lot of people do not like his paintings. I kind of like them. I'm not big on abstract art, but I do enjoy his use of color and his use of contrast and his like his application is really interesting to me. And his use of the oils. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I dig his paintings. I like the fact that he does them all together. That he's like, I'm going to paint now. And I'm going to make it my <laughs> album cover. And, uh, you know, it's going to be part of the whole Electronic Arguments album creation. Like, he just puts it in there. Like, it's just another art thing he does. It's great. Yeah. I also love the book of paintings that came out, God, in probably the early 2000s or something. Though I believe it's like the author photo in that book is like him just sitting in front of one of his paintings wearing a wife beater. And that's great. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's just great. <laughs> like, I just, that photo lives in my head rent free. That book, I think, was what helped the sleuths discover the name of Egypt Station album. Yes. Yes, absolutely. I forgot about that. It was in that book, and there were a number mm-hmm. of clues on Instagram, and then he fi- people figured it out. I did not figure it out. I'm not saying I figured it out, but. I know that's how it came about. Number 60. <laughs> he had cats named Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. <laughs> <laughs> Again, you want to say that John Lennon was subversive? Look at these cats. <laughs> He's got like fucking like the other Holy Trinity as cats. It's really fucking funny. That's <laughs> <laughs> so great. <laughs> oh, God. 61, his lead guitar skills. I love when there's a song and you're like, damn, George Harrison's ripping it up. And it's like, no, no, no. It's not George Harrison. It's Paul McCartney. George didn't like that very much. But we yeah, do. No, George, 
this would not make George's <laughs> list of favorite things about Paul, but no. it made ours. <laughs> yeah. And, and another thing I'd like to mention when people do talk about it was voices and what it used to be in concert. Okay. You know, maybe we can give you that, but his guitar skills are unparalleled still. He fucking so, rips it. Yeah. He still does. It's amazing. And number 62, not only his guitar skills, but his drumming. Uh, mm-hmm. I think Ringo had the same feeling of annoyance when uh, some of the <laughs> drum fills that were in some Beatles songs were like, great. And then they're like, oh, actually, that was Paul who just decided to take over because he knew exactly what he wanted and he did it. Fucking Paul. <laughs> <laughs> oh, number 63, Paul Ramon. Say no more. <laughs> ah, speaking of aliases, this was uh, a very early alias of Paul. And um, I'm just going to piggyback 64 onto this, Erica, if that's okay. Go for it. Because his alias, Paul Ramon, inspired a little band out of New York called the Ramones. And that's how they got their name, was Paul's alias, Paul Ramon. I love that. And I also love the fact that Paul decided that he needed, like, a Latin lover stereotype (laughs) to be an alias for him. (laughs) Yeah, uh, I I mean, the logic isn't there for me, but um, okay. I must have gone (laughs) with Besame Mucho, I guess, but... Uh, Maybe. I don't know. Has he ever really explained Paul Ramon? Like, uh, beyond the fact that it's like, oh, it sounded sort of exotic. I think there's some anecdotes about it, maybe in Lewison's book, that they were taking different names and he chose it because it sounded like sexy. And uh, I would imagine that most of it was about getting women. But yeah, most things, I, I believe. Me, a Beatles yeah. scholar, what I believe. <laughs> I believe most right. things were about that. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Town Bull. Yes. Again, Town Bull. Number 65. He once flew pizza over to London from New York City on the Concord. Rich people, they're just like us. Yeah, fucking celebrities, am I right? I think it was Ray's in Greenwich Village, which I've actually never had. I've heard it's overrated, so that disappointed me a little bit. There's a lot of controversy about what is the original Ray's, because there are a lot of Ray's, and they are none of them are owned by the same person. It's hard to know if you got that Ray's pizza or just some copy. Exactly. And if you want to know more about the whole raised pizza controversy, you can turn to one of Paul's BFFs, Jimmy Fallon, because he has legendarily had a lot to say about raised pizza (laughs) and the whole like bakery and that kind of thing. It's a thing here. Yes. Number 66. Uh, Here we go. One of my Mm. everybody knows near and dear to my heart. Paul's dirty weekend in L.A. in 1968. Love it. Uh, I mean, we need to do a proper episode on it because I, I talk about it anecdotally a lot, but it deserves a deeper dive. Um, really do, I mean, yeah. it, it's I'm so obsessed with it that like our in real life Beatles friends like Sarah Schmidt gave me a picture of, you know, Dirty Weekend Paul that she found. She printed it out for me. I have it at oh my, my desk God. at work. It's incredible. <laughs> yeah, it's fucking great. I love it. <laughs> but basically, uh, he's in here in L.A. and uh, he was holed up at the Beverly Hills Hotel uh, with a couple of women in a couple different rooms. And Peggy Lipton talks about it in her book because she tried to get in to see Paul that weekend. She was not able to, but she did witness all the women started dispersing very quickly because Linda showed up. And so it was like immediately like very uh, innocent good times as soon as Linda got there. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I like to think that's Paul's last big blowout before he and Linda got married. But yeah, it's basically like drugs, sex, hookers, booze, 
a lot of good times for Paul here in LA. And uh, I love that. I love that for him. I love that you show your devotion to Paul. You know, a lot of people on their desk, like they have pictures of their pets or like vacations they took or their family. You have Paul on the Dirty Weekend. Not just Paul, but Paul on the Dirty Weekend specifically. Yes. And I have people be like, oh, I like the Paul McCartney picture. I'm like, let me tell you everything about it. (laughs) I'm going to get you a t-shirt that says, ask me about the Dirty Weekend. Oh my God, please. I mean, to be fair, I work at Rhino Records, so that kind of thing flies. And people are like, oh, let me tell you everything I know about the Dirty Weekend. And we end up you know, comparing notes the rest of the day. And it's fantastic. But yeah, yeah. No, it has a place of honor on my desk. Amazing. Uh, number 67, kind of the opposite of the Dirty Weekend, <laughs> is that he has unapologetically leaned into his whole silly love song, Sir Thumbs Aloft persona. Sir Thumbs a lot. Ah, I've never heard that. Aloft. Sir Thumbs aloft. Oh, I've never heard that. Because in like the 80s and 90s, he's always had the thumbs up, right? So in England, where they hated Paul McCartney for a long time, his one of his nicknames became like in the tabloids, Sir Thumbs aloft. Holy shit. I never knew that. I love it. Right? <laughs> yeah. And he's just like, awesome. fuck off. This is who I am. Like, and, you know, he's repeated it many times. Like in the song English Tea, the lines are very twee, very, very twee. Me. Very me. <laughs> I love it. I mean, you do you, Paul. I love it so much. And I don't even like that song, Silly Love Songs, very much, but I really do like it that he's like, this is, this is me. And what's wrong with that? That is amazing. So true. Number 68, he wrote a still secret memoir during the nine days he was jailed in Japan. And I've got to admit, Erica, you added this to our list and I do not know anything about this. What? Please explain. Yeah. So in 1980, uh, he was very famously jailed in Japan when he was going on tour with because he carried a very big duffel bag full of weed into the airport where they're very strict about that, or at least they were back then in 1980. So he went to fucking jail. He went to jail for (laughs) nine days. And apparently he spent his time in jail writing a memoir about his life, about his time in jail, about this tour. Like it was supposed to be something he described it as like, 20,000 words. He says that like, it's no big deal. Like 20,000 words of, of a memoir that I've kept lock up that one day I'm going to give to my kids so they can know more about me. So he's admitted that this thing exists. It sounds fairly long and that he's just not releasing it. So I would love to read this. Um, I, okay. Well now it's like, now that I know this is a thing that exists, it's like, this is going to be a life quest because that's amazing. I wonder if his kids have read it. I mean, it was such a long time ago. He referenced like, I'm going to give it to James when he's 30. And he's like, you're a man now. Read this. Well, James is far past 30. And I wonder if he ever saw it. I mean, we know Paul still has it because Paul, as we've discussed, never gets rid of anything. Keeps it all. It's somewhere. It's somewhere. Uh, I Yeah, I'm dying. I'm such a sucker for books and things that were written contemporaneously to whatever was going on so this i often say paul is like one of the least reliable narrators about the beatles but this was written way closer to that kind of shit and so that would probably be so much more accurate (laughs) accuracy is like really appealing (laughs) and when he was just by himself with nothing to do for over a week yeah oh my gosh i my mind is racing i really i need this (laughs) in my life 
<sighs> Number 69. Uh-huh. 69. Uh, he, we're 12. Uh, <laughs> he <laughs> had a lifelong love for Her Majesty. She's a very nice girl. Um, mm-hmm. And he actually won a writing prize at 10 years old, uh, celebrating her coronation in 1953. Yes, he was very enamored with the 27-year-old queen-to-be. He often talks about how they all thought she was super hot, you know, when she was coronated. He played at her Diamond Jubilee. He did not play at her Platinum Jubilee this past uh, weekend or so because he's on tour, obviously. But I would be shocked if he didn't send Her Majesty a nice note to congratulate her for her her tenure on the throne. And there was a a video about this, like a retrospective about the Queen. And he was interviewed for that, for the Platinum Jubilee. And he told the story. Yeah, yeah. I believe that's where he uh, mentioned they all thought she was super hot. Yeah. And he also said it was the first time accepting the prize that he ever walked on a stage. He's so nervous. That's cute. (laughs) Yeah. Number 70. He's writing a musical. It's a musical version of It's a Wonderful Life. It was something that was supposed to be before the pandemic. So I'm not sure what the progress is as far, you know, now that Broadway is opened again. But one more different musical genre that he hasn't explored yet that he's just writing a freaking musical. Is there anything the man cannot do? No. Including number 71. He still does yoga and headstands regularly. Still in yep. his now 80s. <laughs> yeah. If you talk to people who especially I think people who live in the in the Hamptons or in you know New York City, whatever, like he's got his regular things. He's often going to yoga class. I've heard multiple accounts of him at the gym where he still runs a pretty fast mile and uh, a headstand is a regular part of his like exercise practice. Wild. Wow. He's got me beat. Yeah, me too. Number 72, when he ate pizza at the Super Bowl. Now this is one of those that you put in that I don't know anything about. Are you kidding? Oh my God. I am so excited to tell you about this. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay, guys, listeners, back me up on this. If you didn't see it live, this was maybe six or seven years ago now. Paul was at the Super Bowl. He wasn't performing. He was just there. He he likes to go to the Super Bowl, weirdly. And he is a Patriots fan, which we don't talk about because that makes me angry. Um, but he, there was a moment, you know, when they sort of pan around the crowd and they show the celebrities who are there and they showed Paul and he's eating a fucking huge slice of pizza the proper way. It's folded. And it's just him like chewing on a slice of pizza. <laughs> And it was great in the moment, but it's become this gif that it's just like circulated to shit like around the internet. Eric, I'm going to send this to you. How have I never seen this gif? I don't, I don't know, but it's literally, I just start typing in Paul McCartney eating. It's like pizza is the first thing that comes up. It's a picture of, of Paul and Nancy. He is definitely eating a big piece of pizza. He has got it folded. He is mid-shoe. He is engaged in whatever's happening on the football field. Nancy looks a bit less so engaged in whatever is happening on the football field, but they are there. And yeah, celebrities are just like us. They fly their pizza on the Concord and they go to the Super Bowl where they eat more pizza. I'm glad he likes a a good New York slice. Yes, and he eats it the proper way. It's the best fucking gif I've ever seen in my life. The looping is good enough that if you just like watch it not too closely, it looks like he never stops chewing. Like he's just eating forever. (laughs) Whoever turned this into a GIF, you are a goddamn treasure. Thank you so much for your service to this country. Fucking incredible. (laughs) So great. (laughs) Well, now I know what my reaction GIF is going to be for basically everything forever now. 
a reaction that like yeah applies to everything oh my god Ugh. number 73 his quote-unquote secret show was in 2007 he performed a few times uh between the coasts so in new york he played a secret show in june around the time of memory Wall's full being released at the highland ballroom and then on the west coast he played at amoeba here in la i happened to be at the highland ballroom show in new york still one of the best nights of my life i slept on the street the night before we did not know we were going to get in his assistant at the time mark hamill was the one who gave me a wristband and was like you're gonna see paul and i was crying because i was number one exhausted (laughs) i went home and immediately took a nap before the show that night and it was great i mean there were maybe 400 people maybe there it's a very very small room i don't think it's uh i don't think it's there anymore but it was a great little venue and it was a wonderful night. And I still have the t-shirt that they gave us when we went in there. I mean, that's so special. Like there's no other way to see Paul in an intimate setting like that. And you got to see it. So it was so great. Yeah. Yeah. And Amoeba's Secret, which is his little like live album sort of EP that came out was the result of the Amoeba show. So if you want to hear a little bit of like what that was, you know, the, the little intimate secret shows, you can find that. Pretty much anywhere. I think Amoeba Secret might even be on streaming now. Yeah, I think so. That wasn't the only time he's done this. He did one in New York City in 2014. And I randomly saw him do something like this in Grand Central Station when he was promoting Egypt Station. Yes. Oh, my God. I forgot about that. Yes, absolutely. That was when he was just starting to sport his, like, sexy gray hair. So it was a good time. Oh, my God. The era of the silver maca. (sighs) (laughs) Number 74, <laughs> again, <laughs> so when, he, when he really, really wanted a t-shirt from the t-shirt cannon at a Nets game. <laughs> He's quite the sports fan. He loves American sports. He loves American sports. And just like the rest of us, he loves a free thing at a sports game. So there's this great video of like the, they shot the t-shirt cannon into his section and like he's with the rest of them like trying to catch it and someone else catches it and he's like oh nuts like he looks disappointed that he didn't get it so good and the commentators are like give paul mccartney his t-shirt like it's just really fucking funny <laughs> it's and he's like with his kids like i think he, like beatrice at the time was, was next to him and you know i think nancy's kids too and he was just like tackling over all of them to get those t-shirts it was so funny very committed i bet many many of those t-shirts were mailed to mpl oh i'm sure i'm sure he got his t-shirt yes yes i'm sure he has a brooklyn that shirt by now number 75 he brought linda's favorite horse to her memorial service at a church and here's another one erica you added i don't know anything about this yeah so after linda died there was a period of time when you know he kind of laid low but then you know after maybe six weeks or so it passed he had a memorial service at riverside church which um seats about 1200 but it was a closed is closed memorial service there were about 400 people there including paul and his family and linda's favorite appaloosa horse that she loved to ride and that he was telling her about as she passed away. So, you know, it takes a lot. I think you have to be a very uh, important person in the world to tell your church you're bringing a horse to a memorial (laughs) service and they let you in. But he did it and he did it for Linda. And it's just, what a touching gesture for her. 
and a very yeah. unusual one for the the venue. I'm sure that horse was like family to her, so that was yeah. really really lovely. Oh, number seventy six, the master of dad jokes. He <laughs> created an album in quote unquote rock down. <laughs> And everything that went along with it, like we got a lot of really great sort of refreshing Paul interviews when he was coming out of Rockdown and after he'd created McCartney 3. That whole period of Paul was really great. You know, I think for all of us coming out of the COVID dark times and having some like new Paul to look forward to, it definitely made me more tolerant of words like Rockdown. Yes, for sure. (laughs) And that he used it so seriously. Like I would think that this is more a word that like Ringo might use but oh my god totally it was a different thing 100 <laughs> percent. if yeah. Ringo would have would have coined rock down we've been like oh Ringo you're so silly but Paul using it we're like oh yeah rock down <laughs> all right <laughs> poor Ringo <laughs> uh, he's the king of wordplay shit I know <laughs> oh god oh lord well, God, we're we're heading into the home stretch, guys. Number seventy-seven, Percy Thrillington, which harkens back to our very first episode because that was the first thing we talked about on this podcast was Percy Thrillington. This is one of my favorite things about Paul McCartney. It's so weird. Why don't you tell us about Mr. Percy Thrillington, Erica? Mr. Percy Thrillington was an alias of Paul McCartney, but nobody knew that. Just one, a few years after Ram came out, this very. Uh, random big band interpretation of the Ram album done by an unknown big band leader called Percy Thrillington. Nobody knew who he was. And there were even a few newspaper columns like, who is this mysterious Percy Thrillington? Of course, it was Paul. It was Paul doing his own big band interpretation of Ram, one of the weirdest projects ever, not only weird because of what it was, but because of the whole subterfuge of the whole thing. It's just so strange and so delightful. Again, Paul and his marketing genius created this whole fake person and made a whole campaign out of it. Move aside, Paul Ramon. Percy Thrillington yeah. is in the house. This is a name. Yes. Goodbye. Yeah. What a, yeah, that much better name than Paul Ramon. Come on. Yeah, with absolutely no um, inappropriate appropriation context. Hooray. Yeah. (laughs) There we go. (laughs) Percy Thrillington is not problematic, y'all. Number 78. When he wore fucking sneakers to the Oscars. Of course he did. And that was also the Oscars where Heather Mills wore a two-piece. She wore like a little top and then a skirt. And I remember they both got fucking roasted. By like, oh, you know, yeah. that was when like Joan Rivers and those guys were doing the best dress, worst dressed, and they both just got like skewered. See that outfit that Heather wore, which was yellow and lacy and very strange. It's still bad. But wearing yeah. sneakers to a fancy thing is so done now. Like Paul, like Paul was so ahead of his time with that. Who's the fashion icon now, bitches? They were. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, I mean, they were black sneakers. They kind of worked. But, you know, I, I just remember that was so appalling at that time. I think that was like 2003 or something. You know, he was nominated for a Vanilla Sky. Yeah. Which, that's a whole other thing. That song is not good. Anyway. Yeah, that song's not on our, our 80 Things list. It's no, not. no, no. That song, that's, that song should not even been mentioned on our 80 Things Oh, God. Um, Number 79, next to the last, our penultimate thing we love about Paul. 
is how much he loves and respects Brian Wilson. And he's always loved Brian as a songwriter. Obviously, there's a lot of like sort of pseudo competition between the Beatles and the Beach Boys in the 60s, which is probably worthy of its own episode. Um, Mm. But also shout out to Brian, because in two days, on June 20th, Brian turns 82. 80 as well. (laughs) <laughs> not 82 um so happy birthday to brian wilson two geniuses born two days apart like holy shit that's crazy that's incredible and paul still maintains that his favorite song of all time is god only knows yes absolutely that is so sweet now for our very last one and again these are in random order but this is our last one and i kind of like this one a lot is that especially when he's in new york but probably also when he's in london He just lives a very normal life. He takes public transportation. He has his go-to pizza shops. He's got his gym spots in the Hamptons, not to mention the place where he maybe, maybe not adopted a dog recently. Still, the jury is out on that one. But, uh, you know, Paul McCartney, for all of his genius and all of the joy he's given to the world, is very much a regular guy with regular desires. He just wants a happy life with his family. And that's the one thing he even said that he connected with Putin on when he met Putin. Oh. And you're talking about that. He's like, he's a regular dude. And despite the fact that he's been in the public eye and been experiencing obscene amounts of fame since he was 20 years old, in a lot of ways, he is very relatable. And I think that it just gives people even more joy when they connect with his music. Yeah, I love stories about people meeting Paul in the wild. And his whole thing is, yeah, I don't really want to give you an autograph. I don't really want to take a picture with you. But maybe we could just like chat for a minute, which I think is really lovely. I think that's the opposite of somebody being like, get the fuck away from me. I'm famous. And you're bothering me. It's sort of like, you know, why don't we just have a connection? You know, because I'm a real person, you're a real person. And I mean, Paul, I'm just saying like, we would love to have a real connection with you. Uh, if yeah, you were open to dogs. Them. <laughs> and your dogs yeah um but yeah i think he really maintains a level head about a lot of things and which is astounding as you said erica considering how long he's been famous but it's just another thing we love about paul yeah and i think it's one of the things that makes him continue to have this sense of wonder about the world he's curious about what's happening in the world like he doesn't spend all of his time thinking about his past. He doesn't live in some, you know, secluded ivory tower life where he only takes limousines. Like he's actually, you know, he doesn't have to do any of those things that we all have to do, taking the public transportation, all that. But he, he wants to, he wants to be out in the world and, you know, experience life and then obviously write about it for all of us to enjoy. Uh, Well, happy effing birthday, Paul. We love you so much. Happy 80th. My goodness. And Whatever he's doing today, hopefully he's having a having a real good time. Yes, absolutely. And we look forward to doing this again for 90. So, uh, yes. you know, keep it going and can't wait to see you on tour again. Uh, yes, hopefully there's some more dates. That would be a great birthday present to all of us. Yes, yes. You know, because it's my birthday too. Yeah. Yeah, right, right. It's all of our birthdays mm-hmm. as well. So we all deserve more <laughs> dates. That's what we want. <laughs> well thank you guys so much for listening to this very special episode this bonus episode of because the beatles and as always until next time follow us on itunes apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening right now please give us a rating review so other beetle maniacs can find us
And follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We'll be posting photos and more from this episode and beyond. And remember, you can always email us at bcthebeatles at gmail.com too. See you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.